Hey everybody, this is Dan. Welcome to Postmormon at the Movies. Before we get started, we have an announcement to make. In order to celebrate the upcoming Academy Awards, we're hosting another Oscars Predictions Contest. We want you to guess which films are going to win. Whoever has the most correct answers will get to choose a movie for Nick and me to discuss on an upcoming episode of the podcast. You can look at the description of this episode or check our social media accounts to find a link to the survey where you can submit your predictions. Best of luck to everyone. Now relax and get ready to enjoy another episode of Postmormon at the Movies. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Postmormon at the Movies. We're excited to have y'all. Um, I'm Dan. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by Nick, as always. That's me. That is you. I'm one of your co-hosts, yes. And today we're talking about Encanto, which I'm really excited about. Dan, you said it perfect. Like, I, yeah. which I'm going to sound like an idiot this whole episode because my brother-in-law teaches high school Spanish and we kept uh-huh. accentuating it, calling it Encanto. Just to get on his nerves a little bit. So, so well, I apologize up front. And well, here's the thing though, as I was torn is because I was, I was like, you know, in my mind, as I was saying that sentence, it was getting closer and closer. And I'm like, oh no, I have to make a decision here, you know? And like, <laughs> I remember before my mission, I was one of those people who hated all those pretentious, like Spanish speaking RMs. Like I served <laughs> in Chile, I, you know, like, but then I ended up, ended up being called Spanish speaking too. So, yeah. Uh, we can say it however we want, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. And and by we can say it however we want, it's not just us. We have some guests this episode. That's right. So um, today we're going to be joined by Kyle. You may remember him from our episode on Stardust. Mm-hmm. Now, Stardust, we actually released it not very long ago. Just It's been like a month or two, I think. But like, actually, we recorded that this past summer. So for us, it's going to feel like a much longer time since we've been with Kyle, like you and me, Nick. Yeah. But our listeners are going to be a little bit more fresh, I think, as far as having listened yeah. to that episode. Sí, estoy muy animado estar aquí. Hablar de Encanto. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to do that. Kyle, do you want to, and Jenny, yeah. do you want to introduce yourselves? Yep, I, I talked about uh, Jenny on the Stardust episode, and now she's here. Jenny, do you want to introduce yeah. yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny. Kyle's wife. <laughs> um, I was really excited to talk about Encanto. Actually, right after we watched it, um, I was still drying my tears from watching the movie. And I said that um, this really needed to be on the podcast because it was such such a great film. So excited to be here um, and talk about it. I know that Kyle introduced himself a little bit in the Stardust episode. So quick recap, we're a mixed faith marriage, I guess is what it would be called, but um, I'm the uh, post-Mormon in the family. Um, Grew up in Provo, Utah, which is a place I still love dearly, and we spent the last 10 years in Houston, Texas, and we're now in Colorado, Uh, and I probably officially left the church five to seven years ago. It was a very, I'm probably like the slowest operator out there. It took a long, slow exit. And now I'm finally kind of comfortable with where I am in my belief structure and um, in our marriage. And now just find it to be a fulfilling part of life, kind of deconstructing old beliefs and figuring out where we go from here, Uh, particularly when it comes to raising our kids and what sort of belief system we're going to institute in our home and how we navigate the fact that um, we both come from very active, strong Mormon families, 
which is one of the reasons this movie was so mm, on point for us, mm-hmm. probably. A uh, lot, of, lot of parallels and excited to talk about those. So it's just a little bit about me. Great. Well, yeah, great to have both of you here. Great to meet you, Jenny. And yeah, we're talking about Encanto. So I think usually we just want to start talking about, because this is just a great film. Like, obviously, this movie has resonated with people regardless of their relationship to the Mormon church or not. Um, (laughs) We're, we're a small, small group that has found uh, a narrative that they can relate to in this film. Um, I'll start just because I was the biggest mess in the theater. Um, We took our kids, we were really excited, you know, and COVID times, we're always excited when there's a movie we can actually take the kids to and feel safe. And Mm -hmm. we um, took them, I guess it was over Thanksgiving break or something. And uh, I thought the preview looked really fun. I love Lin-Manuel Miranda, anything he touches. And uh, I didn't realize that I should have brought literally a full box of tissues um, because as I watched the film, I love the music. I you know, the kids were loving it, but then it got to the end, um, when we get the backstory on Abuela and leaving their home. And I, that's when the waterworks started and then Abuela and Mirabel reconcile. And then I was crying harder and then they build the house. And then I was like full on sobbing, ugly tears. And I think the strangers next to me were like, I don't know who this woman is, (laughs) but she should know this is a Disney movie (laughs) and it's for children. Um, but I, I left the theater just, um, enchanted, which is, Uh, uh you know, (laughs) on maybe two on the nose, but it was so beautiful. It was colorful. I loved the story of Columbia, um, you know, kind of lighter touch, but as you look into it, you hear, you know, more about the story and how they were forced out of their homes. And I just thought, um, the story of a matriarch trying to keep her family, together and losing um losing the thread a little bit is so common uh in families uh particularly like i said in mormon families but same in latin american families uh that i loved i loved seeing a lot of female characters with depth and dimension and drama uh and i just wanted everyone to see it um for so many reasons yeah and and i I cried, but I don't think I was like sobbing. And, and for some reason, I, when I think about my first time watching it, I keep thinking of these TikTok, TikTok videos, which Encanto is all over TikTok and it's, and it has been for a while, mm-hmm. but there's all these people and the trend is like first time watching Encanto and, you know, they're kind of bopping their heads. And then by the fourth <laughs> time they're like up and they're kind of dancing. And then by the 10th time, you know, they're like, all they know all the moves and they're dancing along with Louisa and I think I had a similar experience where the first time I thought oh yeah this is is great it's good music it's a good movie but then the more you watch it and the more you hear the lyrics and how well they're tied into the story and I it was that same experience I was I mean we sing it all the time we were just singing it today and the kids know all the words and and the dance moves yeah Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) it's just very it I don't know if uh, like one viewing is not enough. You start noticing little details in the background as well. So it, it was just so enjoyable and so rewatchable. And again, with the, you know, Jenny said it well, like the matriarchy, there's, there's all sorts of um, parallels to different cultures and, and faith traditions. But I don't know, for me, especially with a Mormon faith tradition, 
I was like, oh, yeah, there's that. And I mean, we can get into all the details, but it's just like over and over things were happening in that movie where I was like, oh, man, this is like we got to talk about this you yeah. know, with the guys, <laughs> with the guys. That's right. <laughs> Definitely a film that lends itself very well, I think, to our podcast. Yeah. I looked up some information like right before we recorded, like just to show you how like popular, how big this is and like the music it's like as of the time that we're recording this which is february 6 2022 it's like number one on billboard's you know top chart or uh we don't talk about bruno right Mm -hmm. that song the most popular song it's the top song on spotify as well the whole album is like the number one album on itunes right now so like we cannot under express yeah. like how big this is right I, now i would also yeah. say you know at the end of the year when spotify tells you how many times you listen for things i am 100 percent sure i'm going to be in the top one percent for the encanto album based yeah. on <laughs> how much my kids listen to it and then i'll get in the car and i'm like it's playing already hmm. okay i'll, <laughs> like I'll just keep yeah. listening to this yeah. basically our soundtrack for 2022 when my wife and i watched it for the first time we just did it at home on disney plus in the middle of the Bruno song, I paused this and I looked at my wife. I'm like, are you hearing this? This is flipping amazing. Like, <laughs> this is an amazing song. And then like, it's genius. the end of the song happened. And then I like paused it. And I'm sure my wife is rolling her eyes. But like, I rewinded it so that we could watch that song again. Oh, no <laughs> and wonder then, like, you all get along. And That's then great. like, the movie ended. And then I don't know if, I don't remember if my wife stayed. But like, I went back and I watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> Just that song. So yeah yeah so it's brilliant big fan big fan yeah i had similar reaction uh, kyle uh, at least to the music of like i think lin-manuel miranda is great and but i like had a similar response towards sort of to hamilton where it's like i needed to watch this a couple times or listen to it a few times before it's like i could pick up on the lyrics and like really appreciate it and so the first time through was i was definitely picking up more on the non-musical stuff of the story and but but thought it all blended together really well. And obviously, like Dan said, super popular movie with, I think, d- coming to Disney Plus, it just made it explode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering from the theater, but I don't speak Spanish. Kyle does. Um, but there's several parts of the movie that are in Spanish without subtitles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the theater, it was more of like a vibe and a feeling and emotion. And again, right. It got to me anyway, even though I had no idea <laughs> what the lyrics were. But when I watch it at home, I'm a grandma. I watch subtitles on everything. I won't watch uh-huh. a show without subtitles. And it's like the movie's even more beautiful, both understanding the lyrics to uh, the songs that are in Spanish, but also just uh, when everyone's talking fast and just understanding how much they've packed into a film. Um, Nick, I think you make a good comparison to Hamilton because with Hamilton once I actually got my hands on the lyrics and was reading as I listened I was like holy cow this has so many layers uh Mm -hmm. it's so such a work of um you know the work of a generation that's just like incredible and so layered um that's how that's how I feel about Encanto I I will often I, I hope this isn't uh too offensive but I I often say that like you know Hamilton or things like this it's like reading the book of Mormon, because, you know, they tell you to go back and read it over and over because each time you get something new, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yes. and so I think that holds true here. So, yeah. yeah. Which interesting point, sorry for the tangent, but for Hamilton, I feel like I keep telling my sisters, 
it's amazing. You have to listen to it. My sister's like, well, I don't like rap and I don't like, you know, I'm not really into history. And I'm like, if you can read something like the Book of Mormon, like 1700 times, please listen to Hamilton. But, you know, I'm an apostate at this point. So, <laughs> Well, I think one thing that they recently did, I think, um, like a, a live sort of rewatch on social media of Encanto and um, sort of with like the director and the filmmakers and the cast sort of chiming in on Twitter, tweeting along. So I think they said sort of let's all start at this time. And we'll live tweet oh, it together. Cute. And so one of the directors of the movie, he posted a couple things sort of about the making of the movie that I thought were interesting. He said here, and we can, we'll put the link to the, this tweet in the show notes, but he's talking about, you know, five years ago, they began their, their journey making Encanto. And, and so their first conversations, they had a whiteboard and they said, you know, what is, the big question was, what is it about? And so he's saying, we have an opportunity to say something important. And he said, to tell our story, we want to start with theme and build out from there. And he said, what they arrived at was that dynamic, they wanted to talk about dynamics over a generation of a multi-generational family. And he said, families are made up of individuals who evolve, who have hopes and dreams and faults and failures. Can we tell a story that helps our audience see family from a different perspective? And so that was sort of, you know, became sort of their mission statement. And I think that that really ties into like, like, I'm, I yeah. think the movie was super successful at telling that story of, you know, I've seen on social media, a lot of people saying how well this represented their family from different, you know, South American countries or, or just sort of like, we're, we're talking not really about the cultural side of like what the movie's showing, but more not the like superpowers. What, Right, that's not so relatable. You mean, yeah. right, you right, mean right. it's not about being able to be a shapeshifter? That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't yeah. it? Sorry. But yeah, more of like, I think just all families start to look the same. You more you, The more you look at them, regardless of where they come from, and this idea of families being made up of individuals who evolve is, I think, really key to what we'll probably talk a lot about. Yeah. At least from, from my point of view, that's a lot of what I got out of the movie. So- Let's talk about the movie from a Mormon, post-Mormon, ex-Mormon point of view. Like, what stands out? What's relatable? Can I go first? Yeah, <laughs> so go for it. Say, someone else go first, because I'm going to be a floodgate. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when you were just talking, I was thinking about uh, a conference talk where there's a statue of the Savior with no hands. And the whole the point of the talk was you know, you are the hands of the Lord as, you know, the members of the church and you are to go out and be the Lord's hands and serve and help people. And, and the message is, you know, like your life is service. Like you need to give your life to the service of the Lord. And uh, I, when I see Abuela and the way that she employs her family to serve the community and to help people and like okay strong one you do this flower girl you do that like everyone needs to be using your powers to do good and to you know help the community like to me that was like oh man that's that's all these moms um sending their boys out on missions and all you know every temple trip and everything is just like you need to be serving and you know, my, my sister would do summers of service with her kids where they would just like do a project every week, um, which is, which is great. And I'm not, I'm not saying service is bad, 
but just the one of the things that I was relating to was oh man like we you know we employ not not employ but you know we deploy our uh our members in in service kind of the way that abuela does i i like that a lot where it all came together for me was actually learning the words of luisa's song so luisa's song surface pressure to me was just like i can relate to that i can relate to that because the line like um i'm pretty much useless if i can't be of service i'm worthless i'm pretty sure i'm worthless if i can't be of service that was like oh man your whole mission experience. Yeah, that's it. Like if, if you're not succeeding as a missionary, if you're, you know, not baptizing people, then why, why are you even there? You're pretty much Mm -hmm. worthless. And, you know, I struggled a lot with that and those feelings and kind of still do, right? Like I don't do my home teaching. I'm pretty sure I'm worthless. (laughs) right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, So anyway, that, that whole idea about what Louisa was feeling, like definitely felt all that before. I think uh, and part of this movie, the journey of, of the grandmother is figuring out like that you can balance things better. Like you don't have to do everything and, and sort of pushing, you know, putting all that pressure on everyone in the family yeah. leads to burnout and, mm-hmm. and strained relationships. And, and so I love at the end that the, the community sort of comes back and says, look, you've been helping us. Like we need to help you. And there is sort of this, like, you know, more symbiotic relationship between them instead of yeah. this one family doing everything. There's, I mean, there's so many things to comment on, but you know, Dan, you mentioned that Bruno is the one that you rewound. Like Louise, Louise's song is when I I'm sitting there with my four-year-old on my lap. I'm watching this and I'm like, this movie is amazing. This, this is going to be one of my favorites forever because the song's so catchy. Um, but also how amazing to have a character saying, this is too much for me to handle and to say it, you know, rhyming and in Lin-Manuel genius style. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and while I could see that in uh, Mormonism, I definitely could see how Kyle came from that brand of Mormonism. Um, for me, it was more about Mirabel, And I just, I want to make fun of myself for comparing myself to a protagonist of a movie. Cause there's that whole like main character energy joke going around, but um Mirabelle for me uh, I definitely would say like and sorry we're gonna get into like really Mormon niche stuff but for me this movie and like the temple is probably where probably why I was crying so hard in the theater because I'm someone that does not that's definitely like the beginning of my exit from the church is the first time I went through the temple and I considered it very traumatic um it's the first time I started having panic attacks And poor Kyle's like a 23, 24 year old had no idea what to do with me. But like Mirabelle not having the gift that the other people get to me was like, okay, I've never had this gift, but it didn't mean I loved my family any less. It didn't mean I wanted to leave the family, but I wasn't interested. I was not, there was never going to be a scenario where I was okay doing that. I, you know, I gave it a few years of trying and had a panic attack every single time. And so finally, when I address like, okay, I don't have this gift. I'm not part of this club that y'all are in. And so that song, when she's, when they all take a picture and she's like, not doing okay. um, To me, that's where there was so much beauty because 
you could say, Mirabelle could say, well, I don't have a gift. You know, one of the kids is like, maybe your gift is being in denial. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. Um, but the, <sighs> the fact that she wants to stay and she wants to help everyone and she wants to help her cousin. Um, I really related to that because after I got over the pain of leaving and some of the hurtful things uh, that people said to me, particularly my parents, just feeling like, but I do love my family. I'm not going to give up on them. You know, I went to a lot of years of therapy with the therapist saying, you know, you kind of put a lot of effort into your family. Like some people would not do that. And it just isn't, that was never an option. And so to see Mirabelle be there jumping up and down saying like, I have value, I have worth, and I love you. And I think my family's amazing. I just loved her instantly for that. And I, and I related to that. And that's why at the end, when she gets the doorknob and the family's like, the miracle is you. And they all come together and everyone understands her place in the family. That's why I was ugly crying in a theater in Broomfield, Colorado. <laughs> um, it just all, it all was so symbolic to me. And I, and I mm. recognized it instantly. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but I think that's, um, I don't think that your experience is like very, is unique. Cause like, I think there are other people that have felt yeah, um, the same way, even though in that moment you may have felt like you're the only one. Yeah. And, and definitely as I've talked to friends where it's, you know, I've never wanted to take away someone else's joy. Like if you find joy in the church, if you find joy in spirituality, if you find joy in the temple, okay but I need you to understand, like, I'm never going to have the experience that you have and we still have equal standing, you know, and, and it gets harder when you have an institution that like, you know, I'm already worried about future, you know, siblings, weddings and things like that, where it's like, I'm literally not in the picture because I'm not going to attend the ceiling, but, um, it just, I haven't had the courage to talk to any of my family members or anyone to see if they saw it that way. Um, you know, as someone that's on the inside, that's someone that has the gift. Uh, but as I've talked to my other friends that have left, it definitely, definitely was a narrative that stood out to people. Yeah. That whole door ceremony is like a, it's like the rite of passage. It's the initiation ceremony, you know, everyone's there. And it just really reminds me of like, a baptism or a mission yeah. farewell or really any of these ceremonial rite of passage milestones where yeah I mean at any there's just so many points in the in the journey where someone can become you know where you don't see the individual anymore and yeah. you see you see the milestone only and what right. it means for your family and your family standing in the community and they're like oh man your you know your door ceremony that was that was pretty bad you know the the towns towns guy is saying that and it yeah it just made me think of like any really anyone's um rite of passage or ceremony just not going not going correctly right like maybe it was a mission farewell or maybe it was even someone coming home early it's all so many things can happen in the church where it's like well that didn't go right and now right there's the stigma that they carry for for however long and i don't know if this was just going off of your experience, Jenny, but like the grandma in the movie, she, she views Mirabelle as like ruining. She's like, you're ruining the house. You're going to destroy yeah. the family. You're going to destroy it. 
And like, I'm sure that that has happened before in other families where, you know, people are leaving or they, they think that it's yeah. going to lead to the uh, destruction of it. Totally. I mean, my, my mom's comments to me were, and she can't find podcasts on the internet, so I'm not worried she's going to hear this, but the, um, it really was more about, well, what about your little sister and what, what would that mean for Kyle? Like it was, it was more about the trajectory of this, like your decision, what does it mean for the ecosystem we're part of? There was never a, how are you feeling now that you feel that you've been lied to or that you're having to change your whole belief structure? Um, and that's where, you know, the reconciliation scene between Abuela and Mirabel, that was like the next level of crying um, because them accepting each other and seeing you're my granddaughter, I'm your grandmother, we love each other. You're, it just, and, and I think I, I'm at a point now with my mom about that, but it was not an immediate reconciliation. Um, and uh, it definitely, it's, there's a lot of ways to go on that journey. And I think a lot of people have yeah. to do that. Yeah. I feel like if, you know, one fault maybe in the narrative is that because it is a Disney movie, I feel like it does get tied up pretty neatly. In the <laughs> very end. tidy. It yeah, is a very um, tidy movie. Whereas, yeah, I feel like Mirabelle is sort of, you know, her story is about the black sheep of families and which can be applied to all sorts of situations. And I think she's resonating as a character because she feels authentic to being mm-hmm. a black sheep and sort of on the outs of a family that is so close and and yeah I feel like that's maybe the thing we want like the the reconciliation at the end like to be so neat and tidy and and doesn't always happen in real life and but you know what Disney movie does I know I know (laughs) honestly I did not think they were going to get the magic back and so when they did I was like what (laughs) like like how how much cooler like how much stronger you know would the message have been if they didn't you know get I know I know I think that's where the Disney movie comes in where which I will say I loved the house as a character this isn't as related to Mormonism but just like from a filmmaking perspective the fact that Casita was like part of it and part of the family and part of the magic I thought that was so beautiful and just like you think about the systems and things that um make a family a family like the traditions and other parts of a of a family that make um a beautiful life I thought I thought that was a really fun detail yeah going off of that another one of the fan theories that I've seen online is that um Mirabelle is actually like the inheritor of the grandma's role in the family because in the movie she doesn't have gifts I guess. right we, we never see a gift from her she right. has a door but she doesn't have a gift mm-hmm. and the only people I think that we see communicating with the house are Abuela and Mirabel mm. and so like oh. you know Abuela is not going to be around forever so maybe she's the new one and just kind of that's why they had to reconcile because she was going to have to assume that role at some point because mm. I, I didn't notice that no one else talked to it but I her relationship with the house I thought was so adorable and when she goes in Bruno's room and she's like oh you can't come in here and she's asking when she goes searching for Bruno and Mm -hmm. Casita can't help her um I don't know it's just like another sibling in the family or something um but I that fan theory is interesting I don't know what corners of the internet you're on but this is interesting (laughs) because even the prophecy is her in front of the house uh so I think that's probably holds water yeah yeah I was thinking similar things Dan when I saw it of like, cause there's direct parallels of like at the beginning 
when the grandma has the little Mirabelle sort of getting ready for the door ceremony, the house brings the clock in to let her know like it's time. And then Mirabelle has the same with Antonio under the bed. Oh yeah. The house brings the clock. And so like, there were definitely visual parallels of like, they're fulfilling similar roles in the family. They both don't have gifts that we see, but are very protective of the house and the family. And um, which I think is interesting because like, there's that generational sort of divide of like, you know, Mirabelle's grown up within this family now, but the grandma also had sort of like, obviously this very traumatic experience, losing her husband and sort of establishing the family and sort of like being the black sheep in a way too, of like being the yeah. one with, with no husband, who's now like in charge of this community. And, and so I feel like there's that, it's like they're mirror images of each other, but like, which I think, I feel like you see in people who leave the church, it's like generate not too long, you know, of back in the family, like they left their faith tradition to join the church. Yeah. And now someone is doing the same thing. And it's like, why can't I have sort of the space to find myself and the way you did and like having it imposed. And I feel like Mirabelle's sort of similar. Is that like her grandma left their life behind to start a new one. And Mirabelle's trying to find how she fits in when she doesn't fit within the system of the family. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, just sort of, yeah, see similarities there. Well, and you also see in families that the people that are similar are often the ones that have like hit heads the hardest. Um, mm. You know, we see that in my own kids and relationships with families where it's like, you see attributes in your children that are like you and you're like, I don't like that. And so you, you butt heads over things or you don't know how to parent that particular characteristic. Um, so I think, yeah, we see Abuela and Mirabel not understand each other, even though they come from the same type of place. Mm-hmm. Which, which goes back to, I think we were talking earlier about sort of Mirabel, uh, whether the, you know, the family wondering if they get all the magic powers back at the end or not. I am glad that the filmmakers decided not to give her Mirabel a, a power in the end, like that she got to stay yes. the same. Cause I feel like yes. there's a version of this, where you say, do we let her have a power finally? And I feel like it would weaken so much of the movie's I narrative. Think, I think I would have been upset, actually, yeah. again, because I was connecting on this on a level that, right. you know. But, like, that's the thing. And I think you guys talk about it in your Frozen episode, but it's just, like, Elsa, you know, Elsa has to live somewhere else. Mirabelle doesn't have a gift. Like, there's, there's just things that this is how it is. And we all learn to work. It isn't that this person needs to look or, you know, have the gift in order for you to embrace them. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's not part of how this story goes. So yeah, huge, huge relief. There was, there was a point I was worried that that was going to be the end point. And I was, that's why I liked the door, the doorknob and the casita thing. Cause I was like, this is a good reconciliation Mm -hmm. Maybe tidy, yeah. but and yeah. There's a there's a line in one of the songs at the end that the abuela sings when she like realizes it and she's like, the real miracle wasn't your gift, it was you. Yes. Um, and I really like that a lot. Yeah. And one other thing that um, so along that vein is I remember when I was a nerdy Mormon teenager going to education week at BYU and um going to a class and it talked about eternal families, and the concept was like if we're so into Mormon family, into eternal families, we need to treat them here on earth like that we actually want to be eternal families. 
And once someone like cued me into that, it unfortunately put me on a different path, which was recognizing all the ways that we are not kind to our families. And like, yes, we believe in eternal families, but we don't really support the narrative in our actions. Um, And so for me, that line of the miracle is you is like, we see so many matriarchs and patriarchs in the Mormon church pushing the milestones, pushing temple marriage, pushing all of that, where it's like, they want a temple marriage because they want to be with you for eternity, but they don't actually treat you as a realized individual, um, that it's just about the checklist. It isn't about who have you become? What is this dynamic now that I'm an adult parent to adult kids? How is that different than when you were a kid and I can influence all your actions? Instead, it's just, we want to be together forever, but I don't know anything about you or care to look at your interests outside of a church realm. Um, And so that was another thing when we were kind of deconstructing the movie after just talking about how we focus on the gift or the everyone's activity level in the church, instead of saying the reason I want an eternal family is because I truly love you and think you're amazing. And for all your flaws and uniqueness, um, not in spite of it, but because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the miracle is not the mat, some magic that you've got, like the miracle is more than your temple marriage or your priesthood, or, you know, a lot of times I, especially with, my parents and I don't think they're going to listen either but it really whenever I get introduced by them or whenever they talk about their kids it's like four of them are married all in the temple and three have served missions and it's always like making sure that everyone knows like that they've hit you know they've got the gifts right instead of like my son loves to read books like he's just reading all the time (laughs) like you know just something that that uh some of our interests or you know, the fact that maybe, maybe we just like to sit around and watch TV. I mean, you know, just, we're just miracles for who we are and for how we are. And maybe we lose sight of that sometimes. Yeah. It feels a little bit like, um, so the song when it's like, no, but what's your gift? Like, tell us what your gift is. Tell us what your gift is. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, because I saw this whole movie as like a temple, you know, parallel, I think about, at Kyle's parents' house, there's all these pictures of us and our temple wedding. And they make me like physically ill because it's like, I don't believe in that, but because we hit the check mark, that's what we're broadcasting. But I, I just feel like that's not, I don't have the gift. I don't, you know, we, we are (laughs) pretending that this isn't weird or whatever. Um, but it's, it's uncomfortable. Which leads me, sorry. Okay, I told so <laughs> we're going to talk about Bruno. <laughs> yeah, that's I, to do it. I know. <laughs> that was the other thing. And I'm sorry, I know this is your guys' podcast, but I did warn you that it was going to be a floodgate <laughs> of me talking. No, 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 no. we love it. We don't talk about Bruno. Is, Let's talk about him. <laughs> this is Kyle's family. So I love you all, if any of you are listening. Shout However, out to Kyle's family. Uh, <laughs> shout, out. shout out. Um. So with my family, it was a lot more traumatic and I was, I confronted things a few, you know, head on, I had like sample scripts from my therapist on how I was going to tell them and like broach the subject with, you know, my dad's like a, um, McConkie type Mormon. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. Um, very literal, very like doomsday prophet. 
style. Kyle's family is like the shiny, happy EFY Mormon. Probably. Like book more musical, you know, yeah, like let's like, dance at every family reunion. They're all beautiful, yeah. like the most photogenic people you've ever met. They genuinely love each other, which is very different than like my family situation where if we take a group photo, my family's huge. We have 10 people in my family. If we take a group photo, literally no one is touching each other. Like we're like <laughs> so spaced out. And then Kyle's family is like <laughs> face to face. So with my family, it was like, we talked about it. It didn't go great but we talked about it in Kyle's family. Like I said, the temple pictures are still on the wall. We have a coffee maker in our house. I have wine in my cupboard. We don't talk about it. We don't, (laughs) you know, they keep inviting my kids to church and talking about Jesus with my kids and no one, you know, when we do try to set boundaries, they're ignored Mm -hmm. in large part. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so interesting the don't talk about Bruno song where it's like, there's something ugly that I say in quotation marks in this family. And we're not going to talk about it because if we talk about it, that makes it, it, makes real. it more real. Yeah. And the only time we talk about it is when I'm alone with them and Jenny's not around. And the questions are, how can we, how can we help? Like, how can we support you? What can we do for Jenny? Like, and I just want to say, talk to her like stop asking <laughs> yeah. me like go find her you know yeah and i love that when we get his perspective finally when she does meet him not only has he never left like he's still <laughs> inside the house which is great so much. like yeah. i think you know that even then like he couldn't leave the family behind because he did love them and he's supporting them in his way and it's sort of unseen by them they don't even know that he's still like sitting down to dinner with them and yeah and trying to fix the cracks of the house um i definitely cried at that part too when that when you see his place setting yeah because when he does when he talks about his gift he's saying it's more like i told them what they wanted like they wanted to hear the truth i told them the truth and when it didn't turn out the way they wanted like i got blamed not the truth Mm. and and that's sort of an interesting flip of sort of you know the script of his you know story within the family is that it wasn't that he was causing these problems. It's that he was just being himself. And it, that was the problem was that like, they didn't like the outcome and speaks to a bigger thing with the abuela is that it's all for her. A lot of it's about appearances that like we were talking, talking about earlier with Kyle was saying like their role in the community is to be so supportive and serve. And they, so they have to present this very strong front. And so whenever there's any sign of a problem, it's better to hush it away and like get it out of the, you know, so that no one knows that there's a problem. And and we see that over and over. And that's sort of like what directly leads to Louisa's song about pressure. But I think then Isabella Mirabel's other sister has a song all about that too, that like she can't, she has to feel only good things and only create beautiful things. Cause when, you know, she can't make the cactus because if she did, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and same with, um, Mirabelle's aunt, who has her gift is Was the weather. Peppa, Peppa yeah. That, she, you know, same thing. Like she can't make storms or hail or whatever, you know, like, because that's not helpful. It's not helpful. beautiful. It's not good. And so she has to, she can't just express herself or how she's feeling. It has to be the right way. And I feel like that sort of Bruno and Peppa and Isabel and um, Louisa are all sort of experiencing the same problem of like, 
we can't just be ourselves. We can't be authentic. We have to be grandma or mom's version of who we need to be. Mm-hmm. And then you, that can only hold up for so long before Bruno leaves or sort of the, the pressure becomes too much. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about. I think in, in Mormon families, that can be a problem with how we treat each other is that like, we want you to be you as long as you is this box. And if you fit yeah. inside the box, then be you. And if you don't, <laughs> Like yeah. find, find a way to pretend you're a box. And... Well, and that's what I felt like in leaving the church. Like there were idiosyncrasies about my personality. You know, like I studied engineering at BYU, which was not common when I went there. Like I, you know, I was kind of a, on the edge always. And people found it like, oh, how interesting. Or she didn't change her name. haha, And, and all this. And then it's like, once I actually left, it was like, those things are off the table. Everything is off the table couldn't really relate anymore because it wasn't fitting in the, you know, as long as I went Mm -hmm. to the temple and did those things, it was great. But once I was like, finally comfortable saying, I don't go to the temple, I will never go to the temple again. And I'm still all these things I was before. Suddenly it was all very uncomfortable for everyone. And that's when it became a don't talk about Bruno situation. Um, Or like Isabella making the cactus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not symmetrical or perfect, but it's beautiful and it's mine. Yeah. I love <laughs> like, that so much. Yeah. There's, like I said, the, the lyrics, you can just de- like look at every single lyric and find a parallel. But like you said, Nick, you know, as long as you're in the box and it's the same thing with truth, like we really are seeking truth. You know, the church is like all about truth, but as soon as that truth is uncomfortable or doesn't fit with, you know, yeah. the story that we've been telling ourselves then it's like oh no we well we don't want that and when you say when you say that bruno was just telling the truth it just and how he kind of got excommunicated in quotation marks uh it just reminded me of people who've been excommunicated or kind of driven out for the church for raising issues or talking about things that You're saying that there are cracks yeah. in the yeah, house like, I, this I, is I not literally okay. i literally thought of sam young like, you know, in preparing for yes. this episode, I'm like, oh, he's like a Bruno, you know, he's like, oh, totally. like there's problems coming. And he's like, he's like, don't blame. He's like the messenger, right? Don't blame me. Mm-hmm. But like, we need well, to change then, something here. And, and then they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, people would rather hide the cracks than deal with them. And, and, and push him out of the way because it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to hear those stories and to know what has happened. And it's like, well, if we just don't hear the stories, then it's not true, well, you know, but instead we all actually lose our hair. The goldfish dies and we get fat. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it kind of, it hurts when you hear stories about people who are bringing up genuine concerns that get pushed out or excommunicated. And then the church will turn around and make a policy and yeah, and address it. But it's no thanks to no thanks to this Bruno over here. Like we're not going to talk about him but we will, you know, completely unrelated. We're going to put windows on all the primary because, doors because or, of revelation, you know, or yeah. something. Yeah, like, it can't I, come from the grassroots. It has to come from the, yeah. The, or, yeah. or uh, you know, young women are allowed to have other women in their priesthood worthiness interviews. Right. Like, oh, this is totally separate. Yeah. Well, it feels like a lot of it is sort of, or at least what's resonating sort of in this conversation is that the families love while authentic and real, like they do love each other, has some toxic components to it that 
it's very, it feels very conditional. And it's not till the end of the movie that they finally sort of what we've been talking about where they say, you're the miracle. I feel like another way maybe to say that in some Mormon speak is that like, it finally does become unconditional love in the end that they just accept for who they are. And, and there is a little bit of like, Oh, good. Now we can like, they can sort of stretch it out and, and like get outside the box and not feel so constrained. And I feel like on a, case by case basis within families, like you can have legitimate unconditional love, even if we're not all active or believing mm-hmm. or whatever. But I feel like institutionally, the church is very much conditional that you only should be getting love, like yeah. full love, if you're following all the rules and the check marks and the list of stuff. Yeah. And so to the point that, you know, President Nelson has said that in talks of like that the Lord's love is conditional mm-hmm. and and I feel like that is harmful when, you know, the conditions can be ever changing. Well, and especially when you have, like I said, you can have families like Kyle's where they can take a message like that and turn it into something that truly feels like love. But you have mm-hmm. a lot of very strict Mormon families like mine when they hear talks like that, that that then institute it in a way that does that really does look like conditional love mm-hmm. and that you know, it's funny when I see people make excuses for talks and kind of toxic language, I always know that they come from families that are not literal and not as McConkie-esque because there is a huge subset of Mormonism. It's kind of like between mainstream and fundamentalists that take things very literally and they use those talks in the way that they implement parenting and how they work, you know, with their adult children. Um, And it's, it's dangerous for that, for that community, however small. Yeah. I'm curious, Dan or Nick, uh, which characters do y'all relate to the most? And was there anything that came to your minds uh, with your experience of, of leaving the church? Um, I didn't relate to um, Mirabelle in the same way that you had mentioned Jenny, but like after what you had said, like just thinking about it, I think that might parallel it more. I always saw it more of like being a Bruno, but that's probably just like the the sexism here that like, you know, I just really did. <laughs> There's one and, dude in this movie. And, yeah. <laughs> and so like, and so maybe, maybe that's why I like immediately resonated with that journey. Um, You're not I, Milo. You don't yeah. shift and okay. Oh, he was, he was like one of the, my favorite characters. He's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, but maybe that's why I related with that one. So Did you much. relate to Bruno because of the don't talk about it or? I don't know. Cause, cause I, I, again, I don't like I, my family has been very good about like keeping me involved and like, we have like, we're in a good place, um, you know? And so, you know, my experience with Bruno doesn't resonate. Maybe it was just because he was like the only guy the in that song. position. He has the best he has song. The best song. <laughs> yeah. He has a cool power. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more advanced in my, you know, like, <laughs> uh, feelings about, you know, feminism and so, and Dan is. And You're so more progressive. I yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not chained so, by your prior So, yeah, I definitely beliefs. related to Mirabelle the most. And just kidding, Dan. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think, you know, Jenny, what you said before, like, I related completely, like, agreed with all that. So I won't rehash that. But, yeah, definitely felt like Mirabelle's story related the most but definitely agree with dan and that like bruno that like 
we don't talk about it. Like, I feel like my family definitely falls more in line with Kyle's where it's like, let's just sort of ignore it. And I think it's a two-way street. I feel like part of it is that I don't want to push it and bring it, you know, like sort of make it an issue. And so, you know, and I'm sure there's some therapy could help with that too. If, you know, because Sorry, this Bruno just... doesn't want to talk about Bruno either. And so yeah. maybe there's a problem there. <laughs> but yeah, I think that both of those characters related, I related to the most. Yeah. What's interesting is the character I did not relate to, but have a lot of parallels to is Isabella. So I've never mm-hmm. been the flower. Like I said, even before I left the church, I was the one that was like a little prickly didn't necessarily make people comfortable but Isabella so like I mentioned I have a big family um and so in watching this movie I basically like my entire family is in this movie um but Isabella being the perfect one um I definitely like while I was I was definitely the Mirabelle like rolling my eyes like I was totally guilty in high school of being the person that would like make fun of girls that were the perfect Mormon and, and and whatever. But I loved that Isabella had a redemption arc in that it's like, yes, I don't like, I am, I know that I'm bothering you by being this like perfect, beautiful sister, but I'm fitting a mold that I've been told to fit. And I think about some of my sisters that um, one in particular, that's just very perfectionist and has struggled a lot with what, what a tiny box she thinks that she has to fit in, uh, like literally physically small. Um, and how that is damaging in its own way. And so I obviously spent the first 25 years of my life being like, well, my life is harder because I'm not the conventionally beautiful or the, you know, the girl that gets married to the perfect RM when she's 19, you know, the narrative in Provo, Utah that you think is like perfect. Um, I liked that Isabella got a song. She got a song and she got a change to show that that is also a troubling narrative. Um, and I think of all the girls I went to high school with and I went to BYU, all the women I went to BYU with, that now, you know, we're reaching our mid thirties and people are divorced or single moms or all the different things that come from pretending to be perfect and feeling like you had to be perfect. And then turns out that it wasn't Prince Charming or, you know, all the things that come. Um, I just think it would have been easy for the Isabella story to not play a role, but Mirabelle having to confront, like when she has to, when she finds out she has to hug her perfect sister, I think that's like a beautiful moment in the movie and it leads to a hilarious song. But um, while I didn't relate to that character, I definitely saw her in mormonism and in my own Mm -hmm. family so i walked into the room earlier today when my son was watching Encanto, and it was right after the what else can i do isabella song and they hug they embrace and isabella is covered in it almost looks like festival of color chalk dust yeah you ever attended that in utah which i'm sure you all have but um (laughs) she uh and but but then Abuela comes in and they have their big fight where Abuela says, you're destroying the family. Look at what you've done to Isabella. You ruined her engagement. Look at what you've done to Luisa. She's no longer strong. And just kind of comes down on like the bad influence that Mirabelle is being. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder just, just kind of with the panel here, like, and I guess even myself, like whenever I try to bring up things 
issues or, you know, just like, this is uncomfortable. Um, you know, sometimes I'm told like, don't, you know, don't do that. Like, don't, don't destroy our happiness or our peace or, or whatever. And I'm curious if you guys have, as you've left, you know, it's, it's not like you're trying to take everyone with you, you know, but have you, have you had that experience where they're like, look at what you've done. So, so yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And I, and I get where you're going with that. So before I left the church, um, I was always kind of one to stir the pot. Like I wasn't afraid to like, you know, make the little uh, controversial remark in Sunday school. Yeah, I was going to say, you're that guy you know, in Sunday yeah, school. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of like poke the bear a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, or like, you know, make, you know, very mildly, oh, how do I say it? Like, you know, just like quote lines from the temple endowment, like in real life. And like, you know, people who would know would like get it. And like, they kind of laugh. But like, it's like, oh, should I be laughing at that? You know, I wasn't afraid to do that, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but I feel like ever since I left, like, I have lost all of my right to like, be able to do that. You know, yes. it's like, I, I, I'm not in that place where I can. You're not in the club do anymore. That anymore. And so right. because if I were to do those same things, like, you know, it'd be coming from a different. And so I, I have never been blamed. Well, it's more of like, what are the motives behind it now? Yeah, like exactly. before it was for motives? fun and yeah. sort of to poke and stir, but now is it to dissuade and convince? And... Yeah. And so like, I, I feel like I haven't been able to, you know, bring up like those thought provoking or maybe problematic things. And I, I have, I've never been blamed for that, but um, I feel definitely limited in what you know, the, the topics or the things that I'm able to say around my family. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I wasn't as much of a pot stirrer, but Dan and I were roommates, so I can back up, I think, some of that <laughs> pot stirring. I mean, I literally feel now like even if I use the term Mormon, if if an active believing member were to use it, it'd be like, oh, like they're still getting used to it. But if I say it, it's like, oh, she's she's just being a stick in the mud and not calling us by preferred church of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the letter to saints. Like there there's things like that where it's no longer, it's no longer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember when you were saying, you know, you mentioned earlier that your parents were like, well, what's, what about your younger sister? Are you taking her with you? And, and really, I don't know. I guess I just see uh, it or as I, a huge, huge problem has been I feel like his family anytime he questions something like I've kept Kyle out of oh right like I don't talk about ex-Mormon stuff I don't talk about Joe Smith like all my problems with church history I I don't wish that on anyone it was very traumatizing for me and so I didn't really my stuff that I talk about with Kyle was mostly cultural about like patriarchy about inequality it was never about doctrine which I have huge problems with but I was like I'm never going to be the one to tell you that so now when he comes across those things on his own I feel like his family is like uh you're like I think brother is even said like what is she doing like I'm dragging him down and I'm like this is not this is not me y'all yeah I was super afraid of that with my wife's family because um the we when we were leaving the church we kind of left around the same time it was like right around the time of our engagement and I was super afraid that her family was going to like blame me for having 
Yeah. You know, and that like really upset my wife because um, she was offended that like people thinking that it's like, well, can I make my own decisions? Like, you know, like you think that I'm just so, you know, malleable, malleable that I'll just do whatever he wants. And so fortunately I didn't like experience of that any directly. I don't know if any of it happened or not, but um, that's definitely a fear that I had. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, for how much we love agency and talk about it, it seems like we don't really give people the benefit of the doubt when they start exercising it for themselves. You know, we kind of start blaming Satan or start blaming a bad influence. And it's just like, no, these are, these are my choices and I'm going to own them. Or even, you know, I think of like this, what's her name? She's very popular at BYU, like Susan Easton Black. Is that her name? Oh, isn't she one of the, like, like the church history church, church history. Like she's like worshiped in Mormon circles for being this like Mormon historian. Like her classes are always so popular. People love her, but someone that's in, you know, I'm more into Mormon history now than I ever was when I was in the church, but it's like mm-hmm. not okay anymore because it's, it's not within the pretty version. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you just see like yes, we're, we're fine with agency. As long as you choose to get baptized and get married in the temple, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) um, So it's seeing it in practice, I think is, is a lot harder for folks. And, and I think what we see in this movie is that there's plenty of cultures where that's the case. It's like, yes, I love you. You're my family, but make sure you follow our faith tradition or our, you know, so many so many cultural expectations in all types of families, um, which I think is why we're seeing this be so popular. Yeah. I think the one other thing I wanted to mention is that just sort of a small thing that I think exemplifies how the family treats Mirabelle is that even like she doesn't get her door, but they keep her in the nursery. And I think it's like that alone should have been like red flag warning lights going (laughs) off. Like, and I think that, but I think that that's true is that like, and not necessarily speaking of my own experience, but I do feel like there's an, a, a, at least a little bit of that, like sort of treating, oh, like they don't get it later. They're like on the outside. Yeah. And so like, we're going to sort of not treat them like a full fledged member of the family that even, like, you're kind of like still at the kid table. You know? Even if like, you're 40 years old and not married in the right. Mormon church, I feel like you're still it's like, uh, you're not married. So you're still in the nursery, you know, I think yeah, about- sort of the waiting room of, for your life to begin. Well, can I just one more thing to mention? Cause I, or, I, or more. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of relate to Abuela a little bit in that, you know, in her song, she says, I was doing a lot of what I was doing out of fear. Like I was so afraid to lose you too. And yeah. What I don't want to turn into as I parent and as I, you know, try to be a good husband and supportive is an abuela who, you know, is overcome by this fear of losing my eternal family to the point where I start, you know, driving them all away or trying to put them in a box, trying to force them to do things that they don't feel comfortable or want to do. So I just think for me and for anyone else who's out there in a, in a similar situation, like there's, there's a lot to learn from the movie about what to do, what not to do. And, you know, everything we've been talking about, about just seeing 
seeing people for who they are and that they are the gift and and you know if they miss a milestone like love them it's okay you know like um you're the real gift kid like I love, <laughs> oh, I that, love line. that line like I will cry every time Bruno says that like you're the real gift, you're the real kid. gift kid yeah. let us in mm-hmm. and so anyway that that's Which, just another thing um you know not to wax too philosophical here but it it was very clear like we had a very rough few years when I started being more vocal about I'm not I don't believe this I don't like this you know um and we'd have a lot of arguments about women in the priesthood and things like that and it really was when I think Kyle had the realization that like I'm so worried about losing my eternal marriage but I'm gonna lose like my in real life marriage if we don't figure this out and it was little things where it was like it showed that we loved each other again because of who we were not in spite of it and i remember when he he like texted some of my non-mormon friends it was like i want to get jenny a coffee maker you know i know you know a lot about like the best ones which one should i get and it was like truly a turning point where it was like i love you so much that i'm going to be the one that does the research gets you a gift that you actually want that is outside technically my belief system and it was, it was just one of those things where it shows, you know, and I, some people will be like, this chick's crazy that she sees this much in a coffee maker, but it was just, first of all, it's also an amazing coffee maker. I oh, recommend yeah, it to everyone, yeah. but like loving what loving people unconditionally really looks like is not what we were taught in Mormonism. And I think at several steps along the way, you know, in the past four years, when things have gotten a lot better, it's really about, am I being driven by a fear of losing an eternal marriage? Or am I actually doing something right now that will help my actual in real life marriage right now? And it's made like all the difference. I'd say it was like the step change for making it work. Um, which I feel bad telling people that because it is on the believing spouse to do that. Hmm. Um, but I don't know it it's if you're going to live authentically and have an like authentic relationship that's definitely when it started working probably yeah I like I like that a lot and agree with that being in a mixed faith marriage as well like agree with that being I feel like there is compromise and I feel like um a lot of this movie is showing sort of when the pressure is all on the one side like how difficult that becomes and sort of at the end when like they, they balance out the load and like, yeah you know, and literally in like Louise's case, like other people get to lift some heavy things, and, mm-hmm. but like that the, the community helps and like, let's spread sort of the, the load a little bit. I feel like, you know, there, there's definitely from the, the unbelieving side, like opportunities to do this, to do the same sort of outreach of like, I know the yeah. church is important to you. And like, I need, I can help support you in these things, but here's my boundaries. And sort yeah. of that you know, needs to go needs to go both ways Kyle I was really excited when you said that you you both wanted to be on because I was I don't know if Nick thought this but I was I was hoping that this episode could be like a good resource for people um in mixed faith marriages or even just like you know mixed faith family relationships and so mm-hmm. I'm I appreciate the perspective that both of you bring and I think it's really valuable um yeah. and Kyle yes. I'm glad that you brought up like talking about abuela again, because I feel like 
you know, through most of this episode, like we've kind of painted her as the bad guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. which I don't think is fair. I don't think that's yeah. very fair. And this movie is, maybe it's unique, but in that there's not really like a traditional bad guy of the movie. Right. And I think that that's kind of a common theme of some of the recent Disney films. Like you think about Frozen 2 or Moana, there's not really like a single like. Moana, have you guys done that one? um no. no we haven't can we do moana now? sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but um but like yeah yeah we we, we talked about that. that that one's been requested so um we, we're trying to like do a balance of like because like there's so many good disney movies that work yeah. until like, until disney sponsors the podcast we can't go full yeah. disney yeah we need yeah we, we uh <laughs> we're trying to get a good mix in but that, that's definitely a, a good one but anyway so like this idea of like and i just maybe wonder why that is like why I think it's a cool choice. I think it's a good choice and leads to interesting storytelling, but maybe it's just like, you know, we don't need like a big bad guy trying to like ruin all our plans because we have so much crap going on ourselves that we need to get taken care of and put together. That's so realistic. Um, Even the tweet you guys were sharing about like a dynamic family, like intergenerational. I think about my own family and how the best thing we've done for our adult relationships is to spend time together outside of like our childhood home. Because when we're all together, we're suddenly locked into our roles that we were when we were all living under the same roof, which for my one sister is like literally being four years old and like everyone is bossing her around and everything. And so like, this is a real challenge that families have, like, how are we all going to be adults and like change and still get along because we want to, but it's really hard. Um, there is no big bad guy out there. There's just, just us. our own <laughs> brick walls, I guess. I was just going to say, I recently became aware of the concept of intergenerational trauma. Mm. Um, and like, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I had like, you know, could figure that out before, but just like, you know, how, how that's a thing and how like there's effort that you need to put in to heal that and to stop mm-hmm. it so that it doesn't keep going on. And I think that that's a really good theme of this film. Something that if my family is listening, I really do appreciate is I know, I know that they love Jenny. Like I, I know it, I feel it. I don't know if she does, but I, I feel like there's a sincere love there and that, you know, they, when they talk about her amongst themselves, which I'm sure happens, like it's, it's not done in any sort of like, seven foot frame rats along her back you know and like it, during that song it's so funny how the younger generation of cousins who didn't really know bruno like have their these ideas yeah 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 which came from the others right and it's just it's important to kind of just be careful how we talk about people who have left the church or even how we talk about people who decide to stay in the church like mm-hmm. just how how we talk about them in front of young impressionable minds so that they don't grow up like with this, you know, with this bias, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's, that's definitely. And I've, I've been unsuccessful, but I definitely have like asked, like, I'm open to questions. I'm not going to volunteer information, but please just talk about it with me. And, and it hasn't necessarily happened. Um, But the idea, you know, for me, one of my biggest barriers to leaving was the narratives I'd been told about people that leave. And again, I grew up in Utah where my whole ecosystem was Mormon and happy Mormon. Like I went to Timfew High School, which is probably at the time 
85, if not 90% Mormon, like it never high school dances were church dances were high school dances. Like it all was the same. There was no disconnect. And so the stories I'd been told about people that leave were very scary. They were seven foot frame rats along the back stories. And knowing that when I left, I couldn't control that narrative anymore. And that was heartbreaking. And that took, you know, of the five years it took me to leave the church, two of them were probably, you know, getting over that. And I know it's definitely tough to have nieces and nephews who are teenagers now that, you know, I hear the way they talk about their neighbors that, you know, someone's gay or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, if that's the way you're talking about, your parents are talking about that person, that's hard. Like, I know that there's things being said that I can't control and that's something you have to let go of, but it is, it's definitely something that when, um, when I am around and I hear them talk about someone at church that isn't wearing the most church appropriate clothes and they say it in front of their kids, I try, I try to step in. Um, but we do, we do make our own villains that, uh, that basically create monsters that don't exist. I relate a lot to that too. I also think that like sort of maybe related to that is that like Mirabelle didn't even like sort of un- fully understand her grandma either the sort of why yeah. she was doing what she was doing and sort of that reconciliation went a little both ways of like, and I think that's just sort of the key is that like accepting people on their terms and for who they are. And like, it's uncomfortable as a believing member, I think, to accept someone different when you knew them as a believing member and now things have changed, like to be authentic and like let down some of your own barriers. I think that that is just difficult because that mentality of like, I still got to present a certain front to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I accept you, like, what does that say about me and sort of my commitment? And, and I think we see that with, you know, in the beginning of this movie, Mirabelle's telling the story of the family to the kids in the town and we yeah. see the grandma lose her husband and it's like very sort of unemotional. Like it's the emotions there. It's definitely being seen as this is how Mirabelle like has heard yes. the story. And then at the end of the movie, when we see it happen through the grandma's eyes more, like it's like very tragic and like very emotional and raw. And I feel like there's probably a little bit of that going on where it's like, like the grandma finally in the end can say, this is really what happened. Like this is mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. And now Mirabelle can see that like, oh, now I get you. There's a lot of pain there and there's history Mm -hmm. there. And that's, that's where it's like my in-laws, for example, where they find so much joy and connection in the temple. And I never would want to take that away from them. Like I, I would never want to outline my problems with the temple or tell them, I don't even want to tell them I have panic attacks because I don't want them to feel like their beautiful experiences are not beautiful. But I'm never, I'm never going back to the temple. Mm-hmm. And so how do we move forward? Yeah. Both yeah. accepting those things. Right. And I think this movie does show sort of like, give us the hope of that's a possibility that like Mirabelle can live in the house and have a role in the family without having the powers everyone else does. And mm-hmm. whatever our situation like that is of accepting sort of the black sheep of the family, it can be done. Mm-hmm. but it just takes a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I know we're, we're getting lengthy on time, but just one more thing I wanted to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. The community. So 
one thing we were talking about is you think about again, so I grew up in very insular world, but like you think about the way we talk about non-members and people outside of the church, literally my dad called them Gentiles. Like it's so other, like the otherization of anyone Mm -hmm. that's not Mormon. I love, I love at the end when the community, again, this is ugly tears moment at the theater when they come up and they've got their tools and they're like, I think they say, we don't have Let gifts. down your load. <laughs> um, We're only down the road. Um, we, we don't have gifts, but we are many. We don't have gifts, but we are many. And that I just think about now being on the outside of the church of like how I'm, I'm now a project in our ward. You know, I get reached out to by visiting teachers and, you know, everyone's concerned about me and my kids and everything. But like, I see the the community that doesn't have gifts and how much they really do like everyone in the community, but they're not, they don't love the neighbors because they have gifts. They just love their neighbors because they're neighbors. And I see, you know, we live in a neighborhood that has a few uh, Mormon families and it's just so insightful now being on the outside to see, you know, the pressure we put on ourselves as Mormon families to be upstanding members of the community and, and do all these things. But Truly, your community likes you because you're in the community. And it's not about your belief in Jesus Christ. It's not about being Mormon. It's not about your Sunday habits. It's just your neighbors. And they like you because you're their neighbors. And so that, to me, was a big choke-up moment just because I feel like that was one of the the beautiful things that opened up to me once I... Um, stepped away from Mormonism was truly loving and enjoying my relationships with neighbors and people outside the church and seeing that um, it's not about the gift. It's just about community. Yeah, that's great. No, <laughs> I, I like that a lot. That. Yeah, I like that a lot. Amen. Yeah. And let your kids play with our kids. <laughs> even though, yeah. Even it's though just... we're the weird family that the mom drinks wine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Just one one more thing I want to mention. Uh, we keep saying that. That's no. Go ahead. Yeah. This is just gushing on the movie. The colors are <gasps> so beautiful. So like good, it's just yeah. so beautiful to look at, and and the um, the way that the characters move, the way that they dance, especially Mirabelle with her big flowy skirt, like yeah. and her is, hand embroidered. I want yeah. to make the shirt she's wearing. It's so beautiful. It is. I don't know at all how animation works, but the way that they make them move and dance and even Louisa's like really physical uh-huh. dance, um, you know, the physicality in her movements, like it is gorgeous. I, I keep thinking about when Dolores and Mirabel are dancing and Dolores oh, is like, and Bruno, that was like, like the yes. choreography is so cool. And that was yes. like, with their big skirts. Yeah. And the, and the so way good. that Mirabel is just like trying to watch her and kind of mirror her. when oh, she's actions, like dancing but along, but she's like, yeah. Yeah, she's trying yeah. to leave at the same time. Uh-huh. Like she's trying to get out of it, and Dolores keeps pulling her back yeah. in. Um, so just, just the movement and how how the characters have it. It seems like the animators must be watching someone dance, you know, with sure. that flavor of, of mm-hmm. dance and that style, and then just trying to mirror that. It was awesome. It was so beautiful. Yeah. A lot of research and a lot of care went into the details. I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because I, I love animation and so follow a lot of the people who work at Disney on social media. And and so they've shared a lot of sort of the behind the scenes of like, here was the reference footage that we've shot. 
for oh, this okay. shot and sort of so it's it's been really fun they've been really open a lot more than other movies oh, about awesome. sort of the process and I think part of that's because it was film or it was animated um all from home because of COVID oh. like oh like wow. a lot of this I think was done you know during like even though they've been working on it for five years animated movies take so long to get to the animation phase that I bet I bet the large majority of this movie was animated during the pandemic. They're all and doing so, Zoom calls just so yeah, like us. A lot of them are probably working from home or in at least a more limited capacity from yeah. offices. And and so, um, yeah, there's probably just been a lot more of like, we actually have this on my computer. I can share some of this. And so it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Like if you are interested, there's a yeah. lot online I'll that's pretty fun in. to look at. Even, you know, a lot of animators will film themselves doing like I, I need to act out this thing. And so I did see one shot where like, it was some guy that's like some like bigger guy wearing one of the skirts that they would wear. And like, so he's like doing the dance <laughs> to get the flow of the skirt. And like, it's Ugh. like, a, and he was, you know, saying, I don't have any reference footage. So I had to make it myself. And, nice. um, oh man, my job is fun. so lame. Compared to- <laughs> <laughs> oh that's yeah, awesome. I know. That'd be so fun. So cool. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. I, I'm just, I like it came out December 24th or 25th. I texted my whole family again. They don't know that I have this whole Mormon lens on it, but I texted all of them like, Hey, this comes out on Disney plus today. Watch it with your kids. It's so good. But, um, I think even, I think everyone finds someone to relate to, even if it's just amazing music, yeah. the soundtrack mm-hmm. is next level. Instant well, the, classic. Jokes, the jokes on the family. Cause everyone's talking about Bruno now. So I think they've <laughs> done their job and, yeah yeah this movie's gonna be one of those that people reference for a long time long long time uh well anything else that anyone has to to share any other thoughts before we wrap it up i'm good no thanks so much for having us this was really fun to talk about with someone besides just kyle so (laughs) appreciate y'all letting us join you on this one yeah Yeah. well um kyle we're really glad to have you back um i think that your perspective is really valuable and uh we enjoy it hopefully you didn't feel too outnumbered. Uh, nah. No. <laughs> he can handle and, it. Yeah. And Jenny, uh, we are glad that you came and joined us too. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything like if people wanted to follow you, anything you want to share? Yeah. Well. Um, and we can drop links in sort of the, the show notes. Yeah. So if, if there's. If there's anyone out there listening who may be in a similar relationship or, you know, mixed faith or whatever, they can, they can definitely reach out on maybe Instagram would be the best way. I, I don't Kyle. Know. Kyle has a really fun newsletter. If you're oh. interested in more of Kyle's takes on things, he has, um, we'll put it in the show notes, but he has a, a newsletter on, on Substack on, uh, what he's reading. And he has an interesting take. I enjoy reading it as a ex Mormon and his mom also enjoys reading it. So <laughs> broad audience um yeah we'll put it in the show notes this year i'm reading female authors and kind of reviewing books by female authors and it's bite-sized reviews on substack all right everybody thanks for joining us we'll see you next time bye post-mormon at the movies is on facebook twitter and instagram follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you can download episodes as they become available thank you for listening and we will see you at the movies next time